Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm Soyini Koch. Have you noticed how crazy the business environment has gotten lately, especially in industries that have been around for a while? like publishing or taxis or hotels? Well, certainly our guests today, Max Wagerman from Maximum Resources and Doug Lehman from Lehman's Terms can talk to us about some interesting changes and trends that are happening happening in the world of representing manufacturers. And that's an industry that's been around for about 200 years. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Good morning. Thanks for having us. You can find out more about Max and Doug at CEOExclusiveRadio.com. Max, to get us started, for those who may not be familiar, tell us a little bit about how a manufacturer's rep works. A manufacturer's rep is a third-party consultant, maybe kind of like an Accenture. And I know you used to work for McKinsey. So we're third parties that manufacturers hire that are not employees of the company and we're an outsourcing of the sales function for a company. So you were right before outsourcing started 200 years ago. Wow. Tell us, Max, now about some of, some of the trends that you're finding in, in the manufacturer's rep world that you think would be of interest to other CEOs who are listening to the show. I was with one of my closest friends yesterday in Chicago, Evan Brown, the owner of Dugan & Brown. They're about a $50 million business. They're second generation They sold to catalogers when the first catalog, they used to sell to Montgomery Ward. Mm. So, And they're manufacturers. They're a manufacturer's rep. They're uh, one of my key partners. And the guy said to me yesterday, we're horse and buggy whip salesmen. Our industry is dead and we don't know it. I wanted to give you three really exciting examples of what manufacturer's reps are doing to stay relevant. So one thing that Evan and I do, we have a product development division. We have a former head of product development at Home Depot. So we go to his customer's front gate in Homaker Schlimmer, and we hold ideation sessions with them. G has held ideation sessions for Procter & Gamble, and he's held like 100 of them Mm -hmm. over time. So we'll have an ideation session, and we'll come up with ideas. And we work with our, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so I was going to ask you, before we get into the specifics of the the innovation, when you say that you're a horse and buggy whip salesman, in kind of global business terms now, it's kind of a buzzword is disruption. So your industry is being disrupted. Before we talk about the innovation piece, how is that disruption showing up in, in the world of manufacturers rep? I'm a modern day Paul Revere. It's not the Red Coast are coming. It's the Chinese are coming. It all started when the Chinese bought IBM's PC division. You'll just leisurely get to your Amazon Prime account, and you'll just buy yourself some Apple headphones, and, and you'll see these weird markings when it comes in your mail. These headphones started out in China. Uh, They never even touched U.S. soil. There was no U.S. company involved. Until it came to you. Until it came to you. 
The, the Chinese are selling direct over Amazon using the Chinese Postal Service and the U.S. Postal Service. Every Chinese factory has a presence in the United States right now, and they're trying to disintermediate the whole supply chain. Hmm. Doug, what are you seeing in terms of having worked with, with Max for a number of years in, in terms of what, what the shape of the dis- disruption looks like? I think the shape of disruption is he touched on a little bit being online and just technology today. Any manufacturer, retailer for that matter, is leveraging technology and trying to get information out faster and quicker because buyers are leveraging social platforms and networks to buy things. You know, whether it's China, you know, a manufacturer in Michigan, whatever, the, the information's faster, it's there, and buyers are in more control than ever. Mm. Disruption is, I think, and Max can speak to this, Buyers know more information, they know information faster, and they need value, and they need it quick. Mm. And so are you saying that the retailer, like a Home Depot, who would be, you would be selling your char grill or whoever you're repping into, they're going around the manufacturer's rep to go directly to the manufacturer and cutting you out? Is that how, what it looks like? I think for inference... It's more the other way. It's more the the way the supply chain works right now in retail is the Chinese manufacturer sells to a United States company that's acting as a manufacturer. The the United States company, like you mentioned, Char Grill, we used to make the product in the United States. But now all the United States manufacturing has been offshored to China. So the U.S. company has the intellectual property, the patents, etc., and then they subcontract to a Chinese manufacturer. So now the Chinese manufacturers are trying to go direct to the U.S. retailers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so now tell us about the three things that you're doing about it. Okay. Well, one thing I'm doing about it, but the two, I'm a a big collaborator and I'm a third generation entrepreneur, so I love businesses. I want to learn all about your business. I'm so excited about the Radio X studio, et cetera, et cetera. So I was in Chicago and I met with uh, one of my partners. He had no idea we were going to do this. And he just blurted out that we're horse and buggy whip salesmen and we better be changing. And so his game plan at his company is to partner with me to use my product development capabilities out of my office in China. And he and I, through ideation sessions with major major catalog slash internet retailers, we create unique proprietary products for them that they end up buying with us. So we just don't take this can of Diet Coke in and ask for an order. We come in and try to sell nothing. We say, what are you looking for? How can we help you? And we're adding value to the supply chain. The company in 2016 that gets the business is the company with the most intellectual property. The second company I want to talk about is in New Jersey. And this is a manufacturer's rep firm called Cherokee. And so Cherokee is trying to sell equipment. So they have a big building. They have a a radio studio. They've got a video studio, and they're using technology where 11 o'clock at night, you can be in the Jan San janitorial business, and you could be 
working on this office building to clean the floors. Mm-hmm. And they can do a demonstration for you at 11 o'clock at night on your iPad in this building from Cherokee in New Jersey. And last but not least, my favorite manufacturer's rep firm is Maximum Resources. Of course. And here's what we're doing. I would hope that would be your favorite. It is. It is. Well, that's a funny story. But anyway, here's what we're doing. We're the outsourcing of the vice president of sales function for consumer products companies. And that's what you've historically done. No, no, no. We morphed. We're like everybody else. We morphed. When my granddad was in the business... We just took this can of Diet Coke out, and we did what we were told, and we just said, hey, would you please buy this Diet Coke from us, and we get a commission if we sell something. But now we sit at the boardroom table as the VP of sales at consumer products companies along with the head of product development, with along with this president, along with the CMO, and my dozen direct employees and my 40 independent manufacturers representatives, we are a complete solution for a manufacturer. So we're participating in product development and marketing and finance and supply chain. And we're doing everything that the VP of sales does at a big company like Rubbermaid, et cetera. And so why would they not just hire a VP of sales? What's the value well, add of having maximum resources versus having the dedicated employee? I'm so glad you asked that question. I try. Well, let, let's start with me. I'm the third generation in my family to be in the consumer products business. So I bring a level of knowledge that a normal VP of sales wouldn't have. Also, I have been what's called a category captain at Home Depot three different times. I personally manage an eight-foot bay at Home Depot right now in all 2,000 stores, and that gives me a unique perspective that other VP of sales don't have. Also, inside my structure, I have a VP of sales, and my VP of sales is the former VP of sales for OXO, Corningware, and Pyrex. So he managed a billion dollars worth of sales, and that is something that a normal vice president of sales doesn't have. Then you add my product development department. Then you add the fact that I have a 16-year, a a man that was a buyer at Home Depot for 16 years. His father owned big box do-it-yourself retailers that sold to another company that he helped run that was big box retailers. Then he went to work for Home Depot for 16 years. So my company has a hundred years of executive management experience and one person can't compete with our team. So if I were going to summarize the key takeaways from how you're dealing with disruption in your industry, I heard clearly you said innovate. You you have to innovate. And that was your your first case. The second case was to leverage technology. Yes. The second. And then the third is to add value. Absolutely. Great. So, I think for the CEOs listening, that's a really good strategy for how to deal with disruption if it's happening in your industry right now. So for those of you listening, we're talking to Max Wagerman from Maximum Resources and Doug Lehman from Lehman's Terms about uh, changes and disruption in, in the world of repping manufacturers. But I want to turn the conversation a little bit to 
your working relationship. And Max, uh, when we called you to be on the show, we asked you to bring somebody with you that had really made a difference in your business. You said, Doug, absolutely. Why would you bring Doug on the show with you? What is it about your relationship and your work with him that had, had you want him to be on the show? Before we met Doug, we weren't leveraging technology to sell our products to retailers. But Doug, because of his video business, and he has such a heart for sales training, and he took that heart for sales training and he used technology to make it really happen in the field. So, you know, Doug coming into our business and doing, you know, product videos for all of the lines that we represent, it really transformed how we do business. Mm. And and Doug, tell us why your relationship with, with Max has made a difference for you. Well, it's five, six years ago, actually 2011, I believe it was when we started working together. I was starting on a new business concept. My passion is sales, training, leveraging video and social media to generate results. And Max was probably the, well, he was the first client of mine to give me a shot at doing sales training videos for product lines. Prior to that, I have a lot of content on the internet to build your brand, personal brand. I put a lot of free content out there, whether it's leveraging video book reviews or product training reviews. But Max was the first customer and they're like, okay, I'm actually representing product lines. I'm actually a paid brand ambassador as opposed to building the brand as I go. So he gave me the first break in compensation levels, having the opportunity to represent um, well-known brands. And, and that was a break. And then that, you know, obviously as you build your brand, you get more clients and more customers. You have to have a starting point. Hmm. So he kind of gave me the ball and I kind of ran with it. That's awesome. And, and it's something that's really near and dear to my heart that I think is, is an undiscussed, um, really important issue in business is this notion that every single business, I think, has somebody that helps them grow, that helps lift them up. And, <clears throat> but that relationship isn't often isn't like discussed or it's not really explored. And so Max, why, why would you give this guy, you know, this tr and trust him with, with such an important part of your business? It's just been implanted in me from my dad and granddad. I've always had a mentor beyond my family. I've always been in a CEO's roundtable, and I just have it in my training and in my DNA and in my blood to network with people. So I'll meet with anybody, just like I got the call to be on your show. The answer is always yes. I got the call that there's this interesting fellow, Doug Lehman, that you should meet with. And since I just meet with anybody, and since so many people helped me build my business, it's just natural, like breathing for me that I wanted to meet with him and I wanted to help him launch his business. Mm. And were there ever any times when things didn't quite work out? Because it's a new, it was a new thing for both you and Doug to do this video training that you then rolled out to your entire sales force. Tell me about times when it didn't necessarily go so well. I think, well, you, you nailed it. It's, it's the, we're pioneers. We're, I'm trying something new. I'm working with a new group of individuals, a new company. So, you know, you get your reps in. You, you know, I, I filmed a couple of videos. I wasn't sure where, where it needed to be or what they were looking for. 
they put a lot of ownership on me on direction, a lot of ownership on writing the scripts. I got the information. But as we built as a team, it got better. It's just like I use a sports analogy. It's like getting your practice reps in before you do that. You're If you're a professional boxer, you have to train. You have to size up your opponent, but you have to put the work in the gym. That's what it was. It was just because it was new. If I were to go back now, like anything in, in, when you learn knowledge, if I go back now, I can knock it out the park because I know what I'm doing. I'm more comfortable. But yeah, lighting, camera sets. I had to use a studio location that I've never had to use before. Uh, so it was, it was learning on the job. But I had the environment that they, let, they gave me the opportunity to experiment. Hmm. But it, it obviously led to something bigger and better. So. So, so the guys we work with are the world's preeminent experts at what they do. And so there was a lot of tension in working with Doug. So the way Doug and I overcame the tension is with humor. So we used to have fun and joke around and we kept things light between each other and we we didn't take things too serious <clears throat> and we were able to overcome some really big egos. And at the end of the day, the finished product was great and the proof is in the pudding. Our sales are up tremendously because of the work that Doug did. How was it used? The videos. Uh, very easy. Uh, we sell grills in Poland. So a Polish rep goes out and sees a Polish retailer and he whips out his iPad and he goes to our website and he let, lets Doug do the selling. So that's the, it's nothing better than that. We've been able to sell our product in 30 countries, for example, because of the work that Doug did. Just to bring you back early in the show, and he talked about the horse and buggy and, and that concept of older technology. What I delivered to them was training videos so they could use the iPad to sell. He was, we managed a base of, uh, I think, 100-plus manufacturer reps. And they're you know going to stores and uh, Home Depot or Lowe's or whoever and trying to deal with the buyer. My services was a point of reference in technology videos as opposed to looking at a brochure they had a video to do. He mentioned Poland, but it was worldwide. So basically, I gave them a resource to train this 24-7, eight days a week. You can pull up on your computer and look at Doug talking about how to sell a grill or a wheelbarrow or a garden hoser or whatever the product line was. I think we did like eight product lines. So it was a resource for the sales manufacturer reps to go out in the field and get the order, get more business. Mm -hmm. And this, I think, also ties, you know, another way to tie back to the earlier conversation about disruption. I, I know that video is going to be a really, or already is a really important part of innovation and leveraging technology for many companies, and it's an underutilized resource. Doug, what are three or four ways that people that are not necessarily in this industry, in Max's industry, can think about leveraging video to innovate, make themselves more efficient, train their salespeople? What are three or four ways that they can do that? Okay, for like the mid-level CEO, and you're talking about from a training perspective, as we said, alluded to earlier in, in this interview, is that the fact is you can train multiple people across geographical territories. Leveraging video 24, seven, eight days a week, you can, you can hit a number of people by watching a video. Testimonials are big for businesses today. Product videos, how-to videos, anything to keep your business top of mind. It's not the question of doing video, it's now a question of what type of video, and people talk about content marketing, content marketing. I like to step back and say it's about the context of the marketing. 
you have a video, what's your overall objective? What are you trying to do as a C-level or executive or a business owner with that video? Because now it's, we have videos, but there are certain videos in the sales cycle to do. You want to do lead generation? You want to have brand awareness with videos? That's one trend. You already have your customer. How do you keep them engaged? How do you keep them trained? And best, but not, not, but la- least, but not, or whatever, however you want to say it, last, last but, last, but, but not, not least. least. <laughs> you, testimonial videos, having your customers do user-generated content to sell for you. So I get all that. So I heard training, testimonials, sales, how-to, right. all great. One of the challenges that I've found with video and I've seen other people find with it, it's just hard to do. And, and especially if you want to do be, be credible, you know, you, you have to like deal with like how you look and the clothes and oh my God, I'm fat and they can see my wrinkles and like, you know, and then I messed up the third word. So we got to record it 15 times and then it costs so much money and you're like, oh my God. And then it's like 30 seconds. Well, one, you don't have to be in the video. You can hire somebody else to do it. Two, you can do a picture slideshow to get away from that and use your lovely radio voice. But you look good on camera. Thank you very much. And and, Did you hear that, listeners? And (laughs) and, and she is very beautiful. Um, Video is not expensive. You know, we're in a we're in a wonderful, fancy internet radio studio today. Doug put up a green screen in my conference room and you know, for pennies on the dollar, he shot the video, he started the video, and most of my competitors now are doing video themselves because of technology. It's such it's so inexpensive to do. What's your philosophy? And I'll ask you this as well, Max, as a as a customer of this. What's your philosophy on how polished the video needs to look? It it goes back to the context of what you're trying to accomplish. If you get it too polished and you're doing a testimonial video, people see that as fake and scripted and non-authentic. Uh, I still think there's a room of having a polished video, but right now everybody can do video. You pull out your cell phone, you got Facebook Live, you could live stream anything. So that's a different engagement. I still think it's really the message of the video. It's got to look good. It's got to be well lit. And you got to have a call to action. Mm. Now, if you don't hit a call to action and you don't have good audio or good lighting, then you're, it's detrimental to your video game. Uh, lower third graphics on it. That all comes into play. It all depends, again, on what you're trying to accomplish. If you're doing a landing page for your website, obviously you want that to look immaculate and have that testimonial video. You're in a time crunch. You can whip out your cell phone. Make sure you have it framed right and good audio and you're ready to go. So to answer your question, it depends. The society now of technology, everybody's a video reporter right now. I mean, Twitter, Twitter videos, you can do up to two minutes and 20 seconds. That's a long time to put video Mm -hmm. on there. YouTube, Facebook Live, Snapchat with, you know, there's just just, video is where it's not, hasn't, it's where we're going. It's getting more and technology is getting a little bit stronger with it. I agree with Doug. It's about content. Intellectual property is the name of the game in 2016, whether you're working for McKinsey or whether you're trying to sell a water hose reel. And an individual can put the right content online. Hmm. It doesn't have to be polished. How? <clears throat> so I think this is really important for CEOs listening to the show. How do do you think about intellectual property and how do people listening to this think about capturing the intellectual property of their company, whatever it is? I'm dealing with 
Home Depot, an $81 billion company. Lowe's, a $64 billion company. I'm competing against multinational, multi-billion dollar behemoths like Black & Decker and Rubbermaid, et cetera, et cetera. So the intense focus of that intense competition has forced me to focus on intellectual property or go out of business. So being focused is what gets you to the common denominator of what is your business's intellectual property? What is it that you're bringing to the business relationship? What's your value in your supply chain? Mm -hmm. And so the question I was asking was slightly different, which is, so people, you know, a lot of people think about intellectual property, especially for a company that's not like a professional services firm. Yeah. It's not writing books and training right. people as, okay, like that's my trademark and my logo and blah, that's my intellectual property. And then I go out and I sell grills or I go out and I sell water hoses. What defines the the, the world of what that intellectual property is for somebody that's not in a knowledge business? So, you, you know, I'm selling consumer durables. Right. So we're selling an idea. So it all starts with an idea. You know, so I'll, I'll pick on my water hose, real business. Most everybody has owned a plastic water hose reel if they're a homeowner. And so plastic is a terrible product. It's a terrible idea on a water hose reel. They break. And so here's our intellectual property. We're not plastic. So we started with an idea. We knew there was a horrible problem with plastic water hose reels. And so we made metal water hose reels. And so it all started with an idea. We're out selling an idea. We're not out selling a metal water hose reel. Mm -hmm. The metal water hose reel comes 20 steps later. Absolutely. Great. It's the end product <clears throat> of the idea. Awesome. I just, what he's saying is not a commodity sale. He's, and just take the plastic hose reel for a second. I, I use the line in the video, plastic fails, steel prevails. You know, it's a concept. You're just selling value-based idea. And I heard you on a little intellectual property. I think what you alluded to is just having something that's it's a difference maker. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a value-based, you know, because, again, people, it's not a commodity sale. You're trying to leverage something that's different mm -hmm. to set yourself apart from the masses. I, I wouldn't be a very good rep if I didn't tell you that I sell the acoustic treatment systems to Amazon that are right behind your head. That's Oralex <laughs> Acoustics, the number one brand in acoustic treatment systems, sold at Sam Ashing Guitar Center and sold by me to Amazon. Wow. That's, that's, that's impressive. That is an idea. That's an intellectual property. you got a problem. We're in the radio studio. You've got to have the proper acoustics or you're going to have a terrible radio show. So that's intellectual property behind your head. Mm, great. To wrap up, what are some of the new and exciting things that are happening um, with your business, Doug, that you think CEO listeners would be interested in knowing? I think we talked, we touched on earlier about the ease of video. It's just now everything is more video centric and leveraging social networking sites. It's not a question of if you're doing a video, it's, it's how much and when you're doing video. So it's, it's, what's exciting is the technologies are constantly changing. It's so much easier to do a webcast, a video interview. There's, every day there's a new technology out there, and it's cost-effective. 
and we're living in the video world. And what's exciting is being able to communicate to people globally through video. Just tech, today, the technology would change. That's one thing that's constant, and video changing is constant. And Max, you told us about your, your, the direction of maximum source resources moving into this outsourced VP of sales role. Anything else that you want to share that, that you think would be of interest? All the mid-level CEOs listening, I know that y'all are thinking out there that, you know, the internet has taken over the world and, oh my goodness, if I'm not selling over the internet, I'm a dead man. Well, the internet's boring. So what that Amazon in totality is bigger than Walmart? So what? Here's what's really exciting. What's really exciting is Home Depot doesn't do any more print advertising. Uh, In all of my companies that I represent, we spend 100% of our uh, funds advertising over the internet. And that's really exciting. And here's another really exciting thing. Lowe's stinks on the internet. They've got a horrible presence on the internet. Their sales are putrid. They're doing $61 billion in brick and mortar. Canadian Tire is the number one retailer in Canada. They are number one market share. They're so important. They're part of the culture. Canadian people go walk around a Canadian Tire store on a Saturday. That's part of their culture. They don't do $1 on the internet. Kroger is the number two retailer in the United States. They don't do one dollar on the internet. They're behind. They're right they're behind. Right behind, behind Walmart. Walmart. Wow. So, so uh, let's don't forget about that dollars and retail business with the brick and mortar. It's you know the internet's not running us out of business quite yet. Great. Well, thank you so much for a great show, gentlemen. You've been listening to Max Wagerman of Maximum Resources, a manufacturer's rep, and Doug Lehman of Lehman's Terms, a video sales consultant. And if you want to listen to the radio show, you can find us at ceoexclusiveradio.com, read their bios, find out more about their companies. And on Thursday, we'll have a blog that will summarize the key takeaways that you heard coming out on LinkedIn at 2.30. And thank you so much for listening to CEO Exclusive Radio. Till next week, have a great one. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.